chapter 14. And we're trying something new today. Obviously, we had a live stream issue, but it's working again. And hopefully it continues working. I guess Ken cast a demon out back there. Thank you, Ken. And so if you need any exorcisms, you can call Ken. Um, but for those on the live stream, they should be able to see the PowerPoint and the notes together. Hey, um, Ken, but this, um, you need to put the screen back on the multi-screen on the live stream. I'm looking at it on my phone and it's not there. If you're able to do that. And then put my PowerPoint up after that. Or just go back to the live, yeah, however you want to do it. At least it's working. There we go. I think I see it. So we're going to be going to John chapter 14 in a moment. John 14. And, you know, I heard a great message about Jesus interceding for us this past week. And it's pretty awesome to think that Jesus, we just sang Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's something about that name. And Jesus himself is interceding for us in our trials and tribulations. He's with us in our valleys. He's with us in our hard times, our difficult times. And he is actually interceding for us. And that's pretty amazing. So we're going to talk here in just a moment about Jesus, the gift of God's truth. Jesus, the gift of God's truth. And let's see if this clicker works. And it is. You know, you know about Twas a Night Before Christmas. I'm sure you all know about Twas a Night Before Christmas. I wonder, do you know about Twas a Night Before Jesus Came? Put this on the screen. Twas a night before Jesus came and all through the house, not a creature was praying. Not one in the house. And, of course... Hey, Ken, is, it, is my um, PowerPoint thing highlighted with the blue thing around it? Okay, let's try it again. Here we go. The Bibles were laying on the shelf without care in hopes that Jesus would not come in there. The children were dressing to crawl into bed, not once ever kneeling or bowing ahead. And mom on a rocker with baby on her lap was watching the late show while I took a nap. When out of the east there arose such a clatter, I sprang to my feet to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. When what to my wondering eyes should appear? But angels proclaiming that Jesus was here. With a light like the sun sending forth a bright ray, I knew in a moment that this must be the day. The light of his face made me cover my head. It was Jesus returning just like he had said. And though I possessed worldly wisdom and wealth, I cried when I saw him in spite of myself. In the book of life which he held in his hand was written the name of every saved man. He spoke not a word as he searched for my name. When he said it's not here, my head hung in shame. The people whose names had been written with love, he gathered to take to his father above. With those who were ready, he rose without sound while all the rest were left standing around. I fell to my knees, but it was too late. I had waited too long and thus sealed my fate. I stood and I cried as they rose out of sight. Oh, if only I had been ready tonight. In the words of this poem, the meaning is clear. The coming of Jesus is soon drawing near. There's only one life and when comes the last call, we'll find that the Bible was true after all. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Do we believe that? How do we show that with our Christmas traditions? By the way, we have a fill in the blank in the bulletin, and those are uh, three blanks, way, truth, and life. How do we show that with our Christmas traditions? How important is truth to us? Mrs. Fisher was recovering from surgery and got a card from her fourth grade class. Dear Mrs. Fisher, 
Your fourth grade class wishes you a speedy recovery by a vote of 15 to 14. <laughs> That's a lot of confidence for Mrs. Fisher, isn't it? But think about truth. Alexander Solzhenitsyn was awarded the Nobel Prize in Literature. He concluded his speech by quoting a Russian proverb. Listen to this. One word of truth outweighs the whole world. One word of truth outweighs the whole world. If I could change a couple of words in that proverb, I would say one person of truth impacts the whole world. That comes from Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Alexander Solzhenitsyn was sent to the Gulag in World War II and after the World War II and eventually exiled from Russia. He was kicked out of the country. He says one person of truth impacts the whole world. Christians have the hallmark of truth, you know. We have the word of God. You know, we are people of truth. Chuck Swindoll writes, in a world of incessant lies, Jesus embodied absolute, unvarnished truth. Jesus as a source of all truth. Jesus never lied or manipulated anyone. He never left a false impression or appeared to be someone he wasn't. As we believe and follow his teachings, we will know what's real and valuable in a world of falsehoods and fakes. Think about that. In a world of falsehoods and fakes, that's still a quote from Swindoll. We as Christians are people of the truth. We know what's real and valuable. Jesus, truth in the flesh, will lead us to truth's treasures. Eternal life and freedom from sin. If you're searching for truth, be assured that in Jesus, your search has ended. In Jesus, your search has ended. This year, over the next several weeks, I wish to talk about Jesus, the indescribable gift. Jesus, the indescribable gift. Last week, I talked about Jesus, the gift of God's grace. Jesus, the gift of God's grace. Today, we will talk about Jesus, the gift of God's truth. Jesus, the gift of God's truth. Then, we will talk about Jesus, the gift of God's love. Jesus, the gift of God's love next week. In two weeks, we have the Christmas program. Don't forget about that and don't miss that. But then on Christmas Eve, we're going to talk about Jesus, the indescribable gift, God in the manger. Jesus, God's indescribable gift, God in the manger. And then on December 27th, we will wrap up this series and talk about Jesus, the gift of God's hope. Jesus, the gift of God's hope. On the first Sunday of January, I'm not supposed to say this, but I will. Um, I'm going to be gone, but come to worship because Steve Varga is going to be preaching. And I know I'll be interested in listening to his message later on. And you don't want to miss Steve Varga preaching that day. I want to turn to John 14, 1 through 6. My theme is, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And my application is trust him. So let's read John 14, 1 through 6. I have it on the screens uh, today. And I have a lot on the screens because this sermon has a lot of uh, left-brained content. Jesus is speaking here. It's the upper room discourse. And he says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going, Thomas said to him. Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father Except through me. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by him. What we see right here is that Jesus comforts the disciples, encouraging them to trust him. If you're doing the fill in the blanks, 
Uh, we have two blanks in that statement. Jesus comforts the disciples, encouraging them to trust him. John MacArthur is a very good Bible scholar, and he says this. This whole chapter centers in the promise that Christ is the one who gives the believer comfort. Not only in his future return, but also in the present with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Get that. Jesus is the one who gives the believer comfort. Jesus is the one in whom we get comfort. Too often we're seeking our comfort in other ways, but Jesus is the one who provides comfort. You know, in his future return, but also in his ministry of the Holy Spirit. The scene continues to be the upper room where the disciples had gathered with Jesus before he was arrested. Judas had been dismissed in chapter 13, verse 30. And Jesus had begun his valedictory address to the remaining 11. The world of the disciples was about to be shattered. They would be bewildered, confused, and ridden with anxiety because of the events that would soon transpire. Anticipating their devastation, Jesus spoke to comfort their hearts. Jesus, anticipating their devastation, the disciples' devastation, speaks to provide comfort. And we can get comfort from Jesus' words as well. This passage is known as the Upper Room Discourse. It goes from John chapters 13 through chapter 17. Jesus had told them that he would die. The disciples must have been discouraged. Jesus had said that he would die in the previous verses. The disciples had traveled with Jesus for some three years. Jesus was a close friend and a teacher to them. They shared a special relationship. In fact, students and rabbis would even call their teacher or their rabbi father. Later on in John 15, 15, Jesus calls them friends. In John chapter 15, verse 15, Jesus calls them friends. Jesus told his students and his friends that he soon would die. And within a day of this, he would die. They saw the person they traveled with for some three years beaten beyond recognition. They saw him go through a sham trial, multiple, and hang on the cross. In context, in John chapter 13, 1 through 17, we saw the foot washing. In John 13, 18 through 30, Jesus predicted his betrayal. In John 13, 38, Jesus predicted um, being denied by Peter. Jesus told them all of this difficult news. And we come to John 14. He warned them that he was going to die. And we come to John 14. Jesus tries to encourage them. Jesus knew that they had been discouraged. Jesus knew that they had been shocked. And Jesus says, do not let your heart be troubled. This is a command. It's a command. Jesus says, do not let your heart be troubled or distressed. Do not let your heart be troubled or distressed. The Net Bible is good because it has a lot of translators' notes. And it says this. The same verb, the same verb used for troubled, the same verb for troubled is used to describe Jesus' own state in John chapter 11, 33, and 12, 27, and 13, 21. It's the same verb for troubled. Jesus is looking ahead to the events of the evening and the next day. He's looking ahead to his arrest, trials, and crucifixion, and his death, which will cause his disciples extreme emotional distress. Extreme emotional distress. Jesus thinks empathetically of how they may feel. Jesus says, you believe in God, believe also in me. Belief means to trust. Belief means to trust. When we believe in Jesus, it means that we are trusting in him for eternal life. 
We are trusting in him for life now. Jesus is encouraging them to trust in him. You know, a lot of words have changed their meanings uh, recently in the last hundred years, okay? The word tolerant has changed it, its meaning. We, we tolerate the smell of the outhouse, okay? We, but now to tolerate, to tolerate means to condone. Not to us. That's not what the word means. But now when the world talks about tolerate, they think it means to condone, to be okay with, with certain sins and things like that. That's not what the word tolerate means. The word belief has also changed. In the biblical sense, to believe means to trust, to trust. Truth, we're talking about truth today, truth is exclusive. You cannot have a multitude of truths. If truth is truth, that means other things are false. When Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life, it means it is an exclusive truth. We're in a world today that changes the meaning of truth and of trust and of belief. Jesus is encouraging them to believe in him, to trust in him. That is a firm-rooted trust. It is a truth. I'm hesitating to not go off on a little tangent here, which sometimes tangents are from the Holy Spirit, so it's always hard to discern that. But I will say, we're in a world today that want to say all religions go the same way, and all, and all religions worship the same God. I was at a seminar a few years ago in which a, a scholar, a Christian scholar, uh, with Rabbi Zacharias International Ministries, who's read the Koran in the original Arabic for the last 20 years and studied Islam, and he compared and contrasted what the Bible says about God and what the Koran says about God, and it is not the same God. God. And beyond that, all religions do not say the same thing. If you ask a, a Muslim, you know, do all paths lead to God? Of course, they're going to say no. They would say no, all paths don't lead to Allah. And the Bible does not teach that all paths lead to, lead to God. Jesus is the only path to God. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is exclusive. Truth is exclusive. Jesus is encouraging them to trust in him. And this belief, this trust is a firm trust. It's a firm-rooted trust that we trust in him. Above and beyond anything else. Do we trust him? Do we trust him when we face a difficult time? Do we trust him when we have the bad news? Do we trust him with a cancer diagnosis? Do we trust him when it comes, when it seems like the world is crumbling? To some of you, to some of us, it might seem like the world is crumbling. Do we trust Jesus? The world is living in fear. Christians do not need to live in fear. Go home and read Psalm 91. We do not need to live in fear. We can trust in Jesus. Jesus is with us in the valley. Jesus is with us in the difficult times. Jesus is with us in the good times. Do we trust him? For, G for the disciples, the discipler, that's Jesus, and their friend said he was going to die. Their world was falling apart. And Jesus says to trust him. In verse 2, Jesus has apparently told them before that he was going to prepare a place for them. He said something about them that before, uh, probably in John 13, 36. He says now, his father's house has many rooms. He would not have told them that if he did not, if, if he did not know. Jesus knows about his father's house. Jesus knows about heaven. Jesus knows about the new heaven and new earth. He knows, and he talks to them about him. This is a reason to trust him. Jesus told them to trust him, and now Jesus gives a reason. He told them to trust him, and now he's giving a reason. And the reason is eternal life in him. The reason is his father's house has many rooms. In John 14, 1, 
Jesus told them to believe him, to trust in him, trust in him. And now he expands on why they can trust him. Jesus is going to prepare a place for them. The word often translated as mansion just means dwelling places. It likely has the idea of a big building with lots and lots of rooms. Jesus' father's house has many, or, or many big buildings with lots and lots of rooms. Jesus is preparing a place for us through his death and resurrection. John MacArthur shares, and others do as well, that when Jesus is talking about his return, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I go there, I will return and take you to be where I am. He's talking about a pre-tribulation rapture. He will come back in the rapture to take us to be with him. That's pretty cool. Jesus will come back in the rapture to take us to be with him. In verse 4, Jesus says they know the way. He is the way. They know Jesus, so they know the way. You ever think about that? If you know Jesus, you know the way to where he went. If you know Jesus, he is the way. We're going to talk about that more. This is the same for us. If we know Jesus, we know the way to heaven. How do we get to heaven? We must know Jesus. He is the way. The way he was going was the cross. We don't have to go that way. The Net Bible shares. Where he was going was back to the Father, and, the, and, and they could not follow him there. But later he would return for them, and they could join him then. The way he was going was via the cross. This he had, he had, he had also mentioned previously. In John 12, verse 32, he mentioned it. Although his disciples did not understand that at the time. As Jesus would explain in verse 6, Although for him the way back to the Father was via the cross, for his disciples the way to where he was going was Jesus himself. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Look at verses 5 through 6. Look at these two verses. In verse 5, Thomas speaks up. Thomas is bold in asking the question, isn't he? We think of Thomas as doubting Thomas. Maybe you've heard that. Doubting Thomas. Because after Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't believe it. He wanted to see the proof. But in John eleven sixteen, Jesus is going to Jerusalem. And he had to go to Jerusalem to raise Lazarus from the dead. The problem with going to Jerusalem is that people in Jerusalem wanted to kill Jesus. They wanted to kill him. But look at what Thomas said. It's on the screen. In John eleven sixteen. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Thomas was prepared to die with Jesus. And right here in this verse, Thomas asked the question. I like what Russell Moore says about this verse. Russell Moore says, This is when I expect that murmuring commenced. And one can easily see why. Thomas is wrongly caricatured as doubting in our age. But Thomas, it seems to me, displays a need for certainty. Lacking in, say, Simon Peter, who often believed he could debate or sword fight his way out of, out of any difficulty. Simon Peter had foot and mouth disease. You know, he stuck his foot in his mouth a lot. And, and, and Thomas, you know, he wanted the certainty. Thomas probably realized how often this band of disciples misunderstood Jesus' sayings and parables. Not to mention how often they fell asleep while he was praying. Do you realize that? It was often that the disciples fell asleep while Jesus was praying. It was often that the disciples misunderstood. Thomas probably wondered if maybe Jesus had given directions for them to meet somewhere on a mountain. To recite a particular incantation in order to be received into this heavenly reality about which he was talking. If so, no one seemed to know 
what these directions were. Thomas asked the question, don't we sometimes love it when somebody asks the question that maybe we're thinking of but afraid to ask? I'm glad Thomas asked the question because we have Jesus' answer recorded right here. Jesus clarifies. He clarifies. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. Jesus is the only way. This is an exclusive statement. In John 10, 9, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus is the door. He is the way. In Romans 5, 10, 2, Romans chapter 5, verse 2, it says, through him, that's Jesus, through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. It's only by Jesus. In Ephesians 2.18, for through him, that's Jesus, for through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father, by Jesus. In Hebrews 10.20, by the new and living way that Jesus opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. Jesus opened the way to heaven for us. In 1 John 5.20, more, one more verse, and we know that the Son of God, that's Jesus, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. Know him, that's Jesus who is true. And we are in him who is true. We are in Jesus who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ. He is a true God and eternal life. You can see John 1.14 for another scripture about that. I love John chapter... Um, no, I love this quote. I do love John 1.14. Check that out later. I love this quote by Chuck Swindoll. Without the way, there is no going. Jesus is the way. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Jesus is the truth. Without the life, there is no living. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. One more um, quote from uh, John MacArthur. This is a sixth I am statement of Jesus in John. In John's gospel, it's known for these I am statements. This is the sixth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The sixth. In response to Thomas's query, Jesus declared that he is the way to God because he is the truth of God and the life of God. Jesus is the way to God because he is the truth of God and the life of God. In this verse, the exclusiveness of Jesus as the only approach to the Father is emphatic. Only one way, not many ways, exists to God. Only one way, not many ways, exist to God. Let's take some time for some applications. Do we trust Jesus? In verse 1, Jesus says to believe in God, believe also in me. Believe could be translated as trust. Do we trust Jesus? Do we trust Jesus with our eternal life? Do we trust Jesus with our life now? Oftentimes, I get the impression that a lot of Christians are not trusting in Jesus. They're trusting in other things. Oftentimes, I get the impression they're trusting in their bank account. They're trusting in their insurance. Lately, I've gotten the impression they're trusting in politics. If we listen to the way Christians talk about politics lately, 
I get the impression that that's their Messiah. And let me just ask you, and you seek God about it, are you trusting in Jesus? God is in control. He is sovereign. He spoke creation into existence, Genesis 1.1. He is outside of time. Nothing surprises him. The book of Proverbs says, you know, the king is like water in the hand of the Lord. God is in control. Are we trusting in Jesus? What if we get a really bad diagnosis? Can we still trust in Jesus? What if we are persecuted for our faith? Can we trust in Jesus? Most Christians around the world are persecuted. Is Jesus enough for us? The disciples were going to lose most everything for him. And Jesus tells them to trust him. Can we look forward to heaven? These are just application questions. Go home and I ask you to pray about these. Can we look forward to heaven? Can we trust Jesus' words as truth? Can we trust Jesus as the way? Can we trust that Jesus, um, that Jesus' death on the cross is the way to heaven? Can we trust that Jesus gives us life? Can we trust that Jesus is the only way to truly get life now? That's what John 10.10 says says can we trust that jesus is the only way to really get life now god is at work are we trusting in him over the last year it seems to me that it's been a very hard year for many are you living in fear are you trusting in jesus Do you realize that God has taken away a lot of our idols in the last year? Has that encouraged us to trust him more? Are we trusting in Jesus? Or are we trusting in possessions? What is our worldview about Christmas? I just got done preaching through a series about worldview. I hope it's encouraged and challenged you to test everything. Is Christmas about materialism or Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life? Is Christmas about family gatherings or Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life? Is Christmas about gift giving or Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life? Some of these are not wrong. It's it's certainly a good thing to gather as family. But is the primary purpose of Christmas about Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life? I've heard many people in my service at churches say, I can't make the Christmas Eve gathering because of my family gathering. Family gatherings are good. Don't get me wrong. I was a prayer partner to somebody, and I kept challenging him on it. And he said, I'm there. I'm at church every other Sunday, Steve. And so I dropped it. But is, I actually think the church should have a Christmas service every year on Christmas Day. Christmas is about Jesus. It's about celebrating his birthday. I know he likely wasn't born December 25th. I know the Greco-Roman history there. But it's the day we celebrate Jesus' birth. It's Christmas about celebrating Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. God became a man, the incarnation, God in the flesh. It's about Jesus. It's Christmas about a new age Christmas spirit, which is nothing about Jesus. Or it's Christmas about Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. It's Christmas about Santa Claus, or Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. It's Christmas about Christmas lights and pretty decorations, or Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. Realize none of these things are bad things. I like Christmas lights. I like decorations. You know, I like having them here. It makes it look so much better. I appreciate those who help put it here. But make sure Christ is at the center of Christmas. How are we holding to a Christian worldview about Christmas? How are we teaching ourselves, our children, and our grandchildren of the Christian worldview about Christmas? 
How important is truth to us? When truth unmasks wrong, those who are exposed get very nervous. When truth unmasks wrong, those who are exposed get very nervous. Like the two brothers in a story I heard recently. Listen to this. You can even read it on the screen. These brothers were rich. They were also wicked. Both lived a wild, unprofitable existence, using their wealth to cover up the dark side of their lives. On the surface, however, few would have guessed it. For these consummate cover-up artists attended the same church almost every Sunday and contributed large sums to various church-related projects. Then the church called a new pastor, a young man who preached the truth with zeal and courage. Before long, attendance had grown so much that the church needed a larger worship center. It's a good problem to have, right? Being a man of keen insight and strong integrity, this young pastor had also seen it through. He saw through the hypocritical lifestyles of the two brothers. Suddenly, one of the brothers died, and the young pastor was asked to preach his funeral. The day before the funeral, the surviving brother pulled the minister aside and handed him an envelope. Now remember, they're raising money. They're raising money for a new worship center. The man said, there's a check in here that is large enough to pay the entire amount you need for the new sanctuary, he whispered. All I ask is one favor. Tell the people at the funeral that he was a saint. Tell the people at the funeral that his brother was a saint. Now we know, I've already shared, his brother was crooked and lacked integrity and unfaithful. The minister gave the brother's word. He would do precisely what was asked. That afternoon, he deposited the check into the church's account. The next day, the young pastor stood before the casket of the funeral service and said with firm conviction, the man was an ungodly sinner, wicked to the core. He was unfaithful to his wife, hot-tempered with his children, ruthless in his business, and a hypocrite at church. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. How important is truth to us? Jesus came as the very embodiment of truth. God in the flesh, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by him. Are you going to the Father? Are you going to heaven? Are you going to heaven by Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life? That's what we celebrate this season. That's what we celebrate through Advent. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, that Jesus... God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, the way, the truth, and the life became one of us. Stick true to the truth. Stick true to Jesus. The best thing you could do during the Christmas season is make it your own spiritual birthday. I never would assume, I never want to assume that the people in the congregation I serve are saved. The Bible talks a lot about perseverance. In 2 Corinthians 13, 5, the Apostle Paul says, examine yourself to make sure you are in the faith. Are you in the faith? If you stood before Jesus tonight and he said, why should I let you into my heaven? Do you know the way, the truth, and the life? I believe, I'm sure, that some here or some watching or some listening are believers in Jesus but not followers of him. Not committed to Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. Some of us might be believers in Jesus, but not trusting him. 
Are you trusting in him? Do you have firm faith, firm confidence in him? It's supposedly a true story. A guy would walk a tightrope across Niagara Falls. I don't know what would possess anybody to do that. But he did it several times. And he made it several times. And he said, who believes that I can do it again? They all said, yeah, yeah, you can do it. And then he said, who believes I can do it pushing this wheelbarrow? Oh, yeah, yeah, you can do it. Who would like to, who believes I could do it with a person in the wheelbarrow? Yeah, yeah, I believe you could do it. Who's willing to get in the wheelbarrow and let me push you over Niagara Falls on the tightrope? We're called to trust Jesus that way. Not ignorantly and not, you know, that would just be dumb. But we're, we're called to have a firm conviction and trust in Jesus for salvation. That Jesus is enough. That Jesus gives us life. Life now and life everlasting. Jesus gives us fuller life, complete life, abundant life. Are you living for Jesus? Are you living for him? If any of you are sitting there and you think that you've missed the mark. You've been living for self. You're not trusting in him. I encourage you to repent today. Confess you are a sinner in need of a Savior. That's repentance. Believe in Jesus as the one and only Savior. That's a trust in Jesus. Commit to him and trust in him. You can do that in a simple prayer. You're not saved by the prayer. You're saved by what's in your heart. That prayer is just telling Jesus what you're doing. Even if you need to rededicate your life to him, say the same prayer. If, you need to, if you've always been a believer but not really trusting in him, say the simple prayer. Same, just tell Jesus. Tell Jesus. You're confessing you're a sinner in need of a Savior. You believe in him as the one and only Savior. You're trusting in him and committing to him. I said this last night, and I think I'll say it again. You know, the statistics are astounding. A lot of pastors get burnt out and leave the ministry every year. I'm not planning on it. Don't, don't get worried or excited, um, whatever that would do to you. But what's so frustrating in pastoral ministry? Serving people that really care more about the worldly things than the church. They care more about the worldliness, even though they might have been Christians for 40, 50, 80, 90 years. They're more trapped, they're more caught up in the world than in Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. Their worldview is just as worldly, and it's very frustrating. It's not frustrating when you're reaching new believers. We expect new believers to live that way. And we would like to see those who have been Christians for a long time to be on the meat of the word of God, not the milk. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and life. We know that you are the embodiment of truth. Help us living for you, Lord. Help us living for you. And if there's people here, several maybe, or listening at home or watching on home, Lord God, who do not know you, or maybe they've been a believer in you but not trusting in you, may today be the day of rededicating their life to you. May today be the day of committing their life to you for the first time and responding in a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I confess I've sinned and missed your perfect standard. I believe in you, Jesus. I'm trusting in you and committing my life to you. Lord God, help us all to live for you, committed to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Invite the worship team for the closing hymn. Please stand if you're able.